0: The best part? You can try Audible free for 30 days and get your first audiobook on them. It's a great way to experience storytelling while supporting this podcast. To get started, go to the slash audible or text the to 500 to Listen to incredible audiobooks and support the show today. That's the slash audible
1: I'm Pete Wright and I'm Andy Nelson. So enjoy
0: these episodes from our back catalog, and you can become part of our Discord community. Learn more about the show and find out how you can become a supporting member at thenextreel.com.
1: So thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening to The Next Reel. We appreciate your time and attention, and we hope you enjoy the show. To celebrate the state of emergency that our world is in, uh, I watched uh, Outbreak with Dustin Hoffman and Keanu okay. Goody Jr. Yeah. And good. Uh, yep. And uh
0: That's not it's not Ebola in that, is it? It's what mo- is it? Motaba. Motaba. Well, but you video. know what
1: happened? You remember what happened, right? It was oh, yeah. uh that was uh, uh I what's remember his the, name.
0: Uh What's his name? I, Michael Crichton. Yeah, I remember the the sneeze going through the vent in the movie theater.
1: Yes, yeah, that happened. Mm. Uh, but see, it was Michael Crichton writing the fictionalized account. I think it came. I, I think this is the way where I haven't done the research on this. I need to check it out. But I'm I'm thinking we need to do a disease series next year. Mm. I want to do like Contagion, and uh, well, anyway. So, um, so I think what happened was uh, Hot Zone was the was the account of the discovery of Ebola. And then Michael Crichton wrote the fictionalized version of that and called it Motaba. Because I think, and I'm no virologist, uh, but I think when they show the slides of the actual virus of Motaba that they call Motaba in Outbreak, I think, it I mean, it looks, uh, uh, you know, it looks like Ebola. Like, it's looked like they just took Ebola and made it Motaba. Right. So, um, maybe that's why it's so mad. <laughs>
0: <laughs> do you think that's what started the the fury the fury, the fury begins it's really it's
1: horror this is horrible stuff i'm not it's, like it, in a panic state about it you know at this point but it's it's ugly for those who are dealing with it oh yeah yeah it's pretty horrible um so i watched that and then after that to cool off to chill off i watched uh her oh cool yeah. i have
0: one that i still have yet to see really i know it's it's i always try to catch up on my uh oscar nominees and that's i somehow i missed that one and i mean everything about it screams andy you need to watch this but
1: we should do a uh, scarlett johansson is a computer series of (laughs) her and lucy (laughs) Uh, yeah, but
0: I, I don't think you wanted to watch Lucy again. No,
1: I, we can do it without actually watching Lucy. <laughs> Believe me, it'll be the same conversation. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> uh, but this one, uh, I will tell you, let me just tell you about it. Um, I, this was a, uh, it was, I thought it was lovely. And uh, I found myself uh, not a little bit heartbroken at the end. It was, uh, it, it was, it's been sticking, it's been gnawing at me. I want you to watch it so we can talk about it because it was, it was, I thought it was beautifully well done nice yeah it re- it was a redemption film from lucy oh good which was a bucket of poop
0: you know the what is that other movie that she did that also looked really interesting under, under the, the skin? skin yeah yeah not a robot but certainly an otherworldly being that is uh, very
1: different yeah <laughs> very different for her uh especially so yeah it yeah, was good what about you you see anything this week or you just been busy budgeting producing
0: Oh, what have I seen? I did go see, um, I, what did I take the kids to? The Book of Life. Oh, what would you think? I thought it was, I, I enjoyed it. It's a, a really magical film. It's a beautiful world. It's a, uh, a magical story. Um, I felt the story itself was lacking um, from my perspective. The story, things happened Uh, just because it felt like they needed to happen in context of the story. So I never really got fully invested in it. But uh, the kids loved it. They had a great time. I felt if they could have overcome some of the story issues, it would have been a really fantastic film. Mm. As as it stands, I mean, it's gorgeous. It's a beautiful world that they created here. And it certainly is worth checking out. Um, So it's, you know, kids will love it. I think adults will, for the most part, enjoy it too. And it's... uh, um, yeah, other than just the story issues, that's my biggest gripe, but Hey, it's making money at the box office. So they're doing a good job with it.
1: Oh, that's great. I, it's, it's intriguing and I haven't, it's one of those like box trolls that, that was really intriguing to me, but I haven't seen it. I, we haven't, you know, my kids are at that age now where they would rather see maze uh, runner. It, right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so I'm missing, like, uh, there was a window where we would see every animated everything right uh and now we're seeing all the uh, ya stuff so right so be it shall we tell the people where we're from where are we from hey everybody it's the next reel thank you so much for joining us i'm pete wright that there is andy nelson how to do and we spoil movies heartily uh, you can catch up with us. You can learn a little bit about us at thenextreel.com. You can uh, follow us on all the various social platforms. Uh, it's typically just, you know, xyz.com slash thenextreel. If you want to find us, go there. Uh, and uh, we would love to uh, to talk to you and hear uh, hear about your your thoughts on movies. That's what we want to hear. Um, Absolutely. W- what do we What do we have to share with the people this week? We did our uh, listener's choice last week. And we, we did. We've, we've now been in touch with the good and kindly Jeremy Wickett yes and uh we're, we're working out those details very excited about that who won the listener's choice we're not going to tell what movie he's picked but i'm going to oh. tell you this oh okay i'm pretty excited i knew you would be what are the what are the odds seriously that i, I was it was like weeks <laughs> ago i was telling you i really want to talk about this movie how can we work it in and then I he would you. pick this movie
0: you're like we need to build a series around it. Yeah. It makes me think the whole thing was set up. <laughs> <laughs> <Totally>. <laughs> who would rig this? <laughs> right, went <laughs> a lot of trouble to rig yeah, that that's a lot. Choice Award. There, Pete. I am <laughs> very excited about this.
1: Uh, clearly, uh, the good Mister Wicket and I are kindred spirits. Uh, so this will be a lot of fun. What else do we have to talk about? With the- do we have any any other updates we need to share with people about that kind of stuff?
0: Um. Okay not that. I don't think so. I think that's it other than, you know, keep guessing on the Instagram uh Pony Prize contest cuz that uh that drawing
1: is coming up in a couple months, right? It is. And speaking of the moment everybody's all been waiting for, I'm sure mm-hmm. how did you do this week on the uh, uh Standy versus the people? <laughs> the
0: Standies. Uh you know, it was a uh it was a little bit of a, 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 a trip, I guess you could say. A little bit of a stumble. Uh, first image out of the gate, and it, it took, uh, dare I say, uh, moments before a good old soda pop rocker nailed it. Uh, yeah. Right out of the gate. <laughs> Just He knew right away that that image was from none other than the, uh, the cult classic, Heathers. And so, uh, that was a,
1: (laughs) (laughs) that was so fast. there wasn't even a, nothing, the first comment, the first image, Heather's. Yeah. And then blot, of course, uh, Benlock comes in. Yeah. I've seen that probably more than once. (laughs) Yeah. it's awesome. It's it's
0: a very identifiable film, but it's, you know, it's good to throw these in once in a while for people, right? Yes. Yeah. You know,
1: that's because easy ones. Yeah. It gets their, lowers their guard.
0: That's right, because then next thing you know, we're going to get Fritz Lang's spies again.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> really throw them for a loop.
1: That's right. You call you call up Steven and say, release the Kraken. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. And it comes out. Oh, yes, well, this does. is a great set of images, and I, uh, I, I, this is a, a big favorite of mine, too, Heather's. Yeah. It'd be fun to do a little cult classic series. It sure would. Days, it sure would. Let's do trailers I'm going to go first
0: uh, My trailer, it, it really piques my curiosity And I don't really know what to say about it Because there is so little information Out there about it But it is called Ambition And it's actually uh, actually Opening tomorrow At the BFI Sci-Fi uh, Film Festival in Up in the UK so uh, good old Stephen Smart can try to make his way over there to see it tomorrow. But it's this interesting-looking film called Ambition that, uh, you know, I don't... The trailer doesn't give you a lot other than it's this really interesting-looking sci-fi story that is about some people it looks like kind of a mentor and a student uh and they're learning to kind of make worlds is kind of really all that you get out of the teaser for this interesting film but the thing that caught my eye is that it has uh none other than uh little finger in it from game of thrones um Iden gillen plays uh the mysterious mentor figure who is uh training this it looks like he's training this woman Isling franciosi i think is her name i think so um, you know, it looks like she's, you know, moving her hands around and rocks and things are forming and coming together. And, um, I, I mean, I wish that I, I knew more about it. I, my, uh, my curiosity has been thoroughly piqued and I just really want to see this now because, uh, I just don't see a lot of, uh, really unique sci-fi movies that I don't, um, that just that have something kind of new and interesting looking. This looks new and interesting. I think they filmed it in Iceland, and uh, oh. it it's it has that craggy sort of look that uh, I think we last saw in Prometheus, which also kind of had that. I think yeah. they filmed some of that up there. So um, yeah, I mean it it draws me in, and I want to know more. So they their teaser has thoroughly teased me.
1: It really has. It's beautiful. I mean it it gives you. I don't know it's sort of that um um oh gosh what is the the dream thing um what's, what's that the- movie i like so much Oh, uh, or the dreams. He was going to the dreams and they rob people in the dreams. Yeah. In- inception. Inception. It's got it's got that sort of in, it, like the same thing that in, that captivates me about inception. This idea of total control over the universe that in which you exist is right here. Um, but then it goes into this whole like cellular thing. <laughs> and, uh, right. you know, the, the chimps beating each other with rocks. And then, I mean, it's just right. uh, it's. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's a big deal. Um, but it looks really, really interesting. And I'm, I'm with you. I think it looks um, beautiful. Yeah. I look forward to Absolutely. it. It's weird. I can't see it in, like, an Iden I'm Gillen's IMDb page. It's not. It doesn't appear to he's, even be listed.
0: He's not listed on their page uh, on IMDb. Only Isling Franciosi is listed on it. And it's directed by Tomek Baginski. Um, but uh, their website, ambition, I think it's ambitionfilm.com. Oh. Uh, Um, it still doesn't have a ton of information, but it does have, it does have some stills. You can see, uh, kind of making of photos. You can check out the posters and stuff like that. So it's, uh, it's a site that there are still, uh, you know, clearly a lot of stuff is, you know, being built and updated and everything since it's just a, I guess at the festival point right now, but.
1: Well, uh, it looks really, really interesting.
0: Yeah, it does right yes, it does
1: so that's mine what's my yours turn? yeah oh my god 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 i can't wait <laughs> <laughs> uh, i'm doing adventures age of ultron uh oh, trailer came out yesterday uh um, i immediately my Acc- s- accidentally <laughs> accidentally damn it hydra that was a great twitter twitter response but they uh they did a good job they uh you know it's nice to be able to laugh about all these things well and i
0: think it was very smart on their part to just say
1: "Eh, eh.
0: hydras you know <laughs> they screwed us up let's just release the high yeah. def now you know yeah. it's like uh, they just took it in stride
1: they totally did and uh it, well done uh marvel good good spirits good sports the trailer is amazing uh, and, you know, I'm just a hooligan for these characters. Like, I think I just I, it's been like in the back of my mind, kind of dormant how excited I am now about these characters. I cannot wait to see what they do with them. Um, I, I think Ultron looks terrific. Sounds terrific. The trailer is haunting uh, doing the the, uh, you know, Pinoc- song from Pinocchio. Uh, there ain't no strings on me uh, in a really haunting minor key. Uh, did you is, say there
0: ain't no strings on me? Yeah, I did <laughs> that's, that. that's a different version of Pinocchio. Kid, yeah. I saw.
1: <laughs> yo, yo, no, there ain't no strings on me. Yeah, Point. you know, I like, you know, that's kind of what I imagine Ultron sounds like when he's off <laughs> duty, um and uh and so I'm very uh, uh, I'm very enthusiastic about this film, and so immediately my son was sound asleep, and I went up and I took the iPad up and I woke him up and played it for him. <laughs> 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 Needless Just to say, like it a was good. Father should n- not easy to get him to go back to sleep. <laughs> um anyhow so i'm very much looking forward to this it opens may 1st 2015
0: i will say this made me more excited about this movie because i mean the avengers i enjoyed the characters i enjoyed the vibe of that film but i thought the story was really lacking uh, which you know i think is a problem i have with uh, a number of the marvel films but uh the avengers really like especially when we got into that last fight i just kind of thought it was a little uh tedious um, but this, it looks like they've got, uh, just a much better story, much more interesting. And it looks really interesting the way that it, it ties in the nature of these superheroes and yeah. kind of this, this world that they've created by introducing, you know, uh, like Iron Man, uh, Tony Stark says, you know, this is the end of all the stuff that we've started. Um, I mean, by creating all of these other kind of I don't know what you call his troops, but the little Iron Man people that kind of can help stop crime and stuff, all of a sudden things go awry. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I I think it looks like a uh, a much more solid story that in a way feels more grounded in the in the, uh, just kind of the earthly element of the story being told.
1: Yeah. And, and, you know, there are some things that are, you know, you can, it feels like it's, this is the end of a new, of a chapter and we're going to be introduced to some new Avengers. And like, it, it just feels like, uh, this, this is pivotal. This film is going to be pivotal in the cinematic universe. And I'm very excited about pivotal things. They, they, I like it when they blow them up (laughs) On, on giant screens uh so this looks very exciting and um at old joss whedon man he can turn him out
0: What's yeah on? and it's got hulk
1: smasher and yeah oh,
0: that was awesome
1: <laughs> so very excited about this nice i'm gonna go get in line now
0: you know what i'm gonna do what i'm gonna put on some Liberace.
1: Almost died you have a compound fracture of the tibia in both legs and the fibula in the right leg is fractured too and as soon as the roads open I'll take you to a hospital In the meantime you've got a lot of recovering to do there is nothing to worry about you're gonna be just fine I'm your
0: number one fan
1: my name is annie wilkes
0: i think one of my clients paul sheldon might be in some kind of trouble
1: you mean paul sheldon the writer
0: Well, everybody sure likes those misery books
1: He had it at the store paul they said he checked out
0: last tuesday
1: isn't that a little strange i
0: guess it was kind of a miracle you finding me
1: in a way i was following you you following me oh paul i've read everything
0: of yours but the misery novels you must be a good man He could never have created such a wondrous, loving creature as Misery Chastain. Very kind. The presumption must now be that Paul Sheldon is dead. You dirty bird. How could you?
1: Misery Chastain cannot be dead. Misery Spirit is
0: still alive. I don't want her spirit! I want her! And you murdered her!
1: You don't think he's dead, do you? And don't even think about anybody coming for you. Because I never called them. Nobody knows you're here. And you better hope nothing happens to me. Because if I die, you die. Eventually, you'll come to accept the idea of being here. Annie, whatever you think I'm not doing, please don't do it.
0: Annie, for God's sake. Shh, darling.
1: Trust me. God's sake. It's for the best. God, I love you. Oh, Misery. Sweet uh, yes. Misery. That's where we are right now. We're doing uh, 1990s uh, Misery, uh, Stephen King adaptation, continuing uh, our Stephen King conversation. This one directed by Rob Reiner, written by, a uh, script written by Billy, Billy Goldman. Billy G. Oh, Billy G. Uh, starring James Caan, Kathy Bates, and most importantly, Richard Farnsworth. Who is always fantastic (laughs) in everything? Ever is Uh, Francis Sternhagen uh, is uh, his. They're just cantankerous to each other. Uh, His wife, they're fantastic, and of course Lauren Bacall, um, who is not in it much, but she is. uh, She is. It's so great to see her on screen.
0: Yeah, it's always great to see her popping up, even if it is such a small little uh, uh, kind of a cameo role, but. She's just great. She really is just great.
1: This is based on obviously the uh, novel of the same name, *Misery*, which was, if I remember, much more gruesome uh, than the film, and yet the film is is still terrifying. And I think it continues uh, Stephen King's um, wonderful. Uh, evolution as a writer, as he begins to dig more into the things that he fears the most. Uh, and, and this, uh, you know, particularly according to Rob Reiner, this was, this was a, a film that was very, very close to, to King, that this was the thing, uh, that he feared the most being able to. Uh, shift gears as a writer and begin to do things that risk disappointing his most ardent fans and uh, the nightmare that is misery emerged from that. Uh, an author, Paul uh, uh, Paul uh, Sheldon, who is known for writing his uh, fantasy romance series about uh, old uh, misery Chastain, um, changes gears and kills his lead character, and this is what happens when his number one fan uh, gets him alone. Mm. how did it stand up for you?
0: It's, this has always been one of my favorite Stephen King adaptations. I, it's just, it, it's such a, uh, well, it's, it's a, it's a well-crafted and very, um, efficient story. And I, I really enjoy watching it. It just moves and it's just really psychologically disturbing and, and creepy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it, uh, uh, the the uh, I, I think William Goldman, when he adapted the novel, um, found the right way to adapt it, and and left the left things out that um, you know didn't necessarily need to be there, or changed them in order to just make the film uh, work better as a film, and uh, just on the whole, really created a just a just a in a way kind of just this perfect little horror movie
1: yeah and and uh yet this is funny it's like we were talking about last week um this is a a film uh, it's a horror film that is not terribly horrible horror horrific uh and and yet it is uh it it's it's scary because again of that human element this is the human terror not the supernatural terror that we have had seen up really through stand by me or to stand by me uh from king and i think that's one of the things that makes this uh so powerful you know it's a similar vibe we we had that that theme replayed for us when we talked about you know fury um you know you've never you've never seen what you know you, I can't remember what the what the line was. I think it came from Bible, right? It was this whole concept of um you know what war is when you f- the first time you see what another human being is able to do what a human being is able to do to another human to being, another right, right. does, that, right, does yeah. that ring a bell Am I not, i'm not yep. no, i'm butchering yeah, I mean, that line but that was the that was the idea and that's what mis- misery i think really celebrates in stand by me we got the after effect of what a human being can do to another young man and kill him we just have the body uh, but here we actually see um we see the the uh the terror itself as it plays out in real time. Um, And, and it does so in a really interesting way. Annie Wilkes played by uh, Kathy Bates. I think she, um, she is an otherwise unassuming uh, nurse, Uh, someone in a field that we are conditioned to trust, conditioned to believe that they are always there to help. And she does so by helping. She carries him in a fireman's carry. She carries James Caan across the woods. Right. That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, she, and, go ahead.
0: She, she's just, she's a fascinating character because, um, not just because she's so helpful and knows how to take care of him and everything, but also because she, uh, you know, initially we get the sense that she knows who he is and she's there to help.
1: Yes. Out of grace and love mm-hmm. and caring because she's a nurse. She is the symbolic uh, representation of all that is good and healing. Right. And we are thus betrayed by it. Brutally. So it's. uh, Yeah. Talk talk about Kathy Bates and her performance. What do you think of her?
0: I mean, first, I think that uh, a huge credit has to go to just, you know, Stephen King in this brilliant writing of this amazing character of Annie Wilkes and how really, truly terrifying she is as a as a person because of the psychology and you know he really is this master of writing um, getting into the head of these characters and the psychology of them, especially the evil characters in his books, so that's something I've always loved. Is how frightening the bad characters are in his books. I mean, you know, I, I read Under the Dome. I think was the most recent um, book of his that I read, and just you know, the the sheriff of the town is just. I mean, he's really just you know, it's really a terrifying character along with his son, and you get into their heads and. You're, you're playing that game with them as they're deciding to do these bad things, and it's really creepy. And he does that so well with this character of Annie Wilkes and getting into kind of this passionate uh, fandom uh, world that she's in. You know, she, she happens to be following her, or she doesn't happen. She's purposefully following her favorite uh, author because she's a stalker. Um, And he happens to get into car wreck and he uses this, uh, she uses this as her opportunity to help him, quote unquote, uh, which turns into this, this horror thing because she's this crazy number one fan who hates his new direction that he's going in because he's trying to get out of this kind of uh, romance novelist sort of uh, world that he's been uh, pigeonholed into by writing this new book that is kind of an exploration of his his youth and all that. She hates it because it's full of profanity and violence and all this. Um, She gets mad at him. And then his his, uh, latest novel, Misery's Child, comes out. She's so excited. She reads it. And then there's that terrifying moment when she comes in, or she wakes him, Uh, and she's so upset because misery chastain dies at the end of the book and that was his way to kind of kill that character so that he could move on and do other stuff but for her misery chastain was the end-all be-all and that was the character that she wanted to follow and um, she goes into this rage she abandons him leaving him you know unable to move. It's just this terrifying situation that she's put him in. And I, what does she say? She's like, I think I, I should leave right now before I do something.
1: Yeah. This um, is right after she's nearly unwise. smashed the table on his head.
0: Right. Exactly. She throws it at the wall and yeah. she's so upset. And, and then she just leaves. And I mean, she's just, it, there's definitely this person who is clearly just psychologically, uh, disturbed. And she's got some, I mean, I look at it as she's just a person with a serious mental disorder, and probably a uh, clearly a killer of some sort we never really get a sense as to what she's done in her past when we see the the kind of the scrapbook that she's kept but as a nurse in the in the in the uh maternity ward there were a lot of mysterious baby deaths and i think there were some other people i know in the book she had killed it it her scrapbook had included a lot of other stuff like i think she it alludes to her having killed her father to having killed, like, a college roommate, I think, yeah. and, gosh, who else? And then just a, a bunch of the babies and stuff like that. Um, I don't... Uh, it, it, it's it's a little vaguer in the movie, but, you know, that's fine. I don't think you need to have it all spelled out. You get this sense that she is this kind of crazy lady who... When she's happy, she's really happy. When she's upset, she's really upset. And God forbid you're on the receiving end of of being uh, around her when she's upset. Because it will turn fast. And that's what happens in this situation. And man, Kathy Bates is so spot on the entire time in this film. She's perfect as that. Adoring fan, she's perfect as that woman who lives in the country that you uh, kind of don't want to pay attention to when she's yelling at you when she drives through town and shakes her fist at you. Uh, she's that that really kind of kook that uh, that has the pet pig and and is that romance novelist fan. But when she turns, it's so frightening, and she plays that perfectly uh, from the moments when she's screaming at him to that. One of the most terrifying lines for me is when right after she hobbles this guy and she looks at him and is just like, God, I love you. Uh. (laughs) It's like, oh, that is almost scarier than the hobbling. You know, it's so she's just uh, the perfect person to have been cast in this role and rightfully won an Oscar for it and knows how to play all the levels up and down all through the film and make it work uh, in context of the story, and uh, and you know works really well with James Caan. I mean, she's she was good. She's really freaking creepy.
1: She is uh, incredibly creepy. You know what? I I think one of the elements you just you alluded to here, you, you touched on, is this idea of fandom, uh, and and what uh, Annie Wilkes represents. To this idea or ideal of fandom. And I think that's one of the most interesting um, concepts at, at work in this film. That we have a writer who has devoted much of his adult career to writing this character. Uh, when he comes into contact with Annie Wilkes, what he realizes is that he no longer owns. His work, right? His work is owned in in some respect by the fans, and she is a representation, as as I view it, of this fandom and and part of the horror that comes with you know Paul Sheldon's new awareness of his situation is that he has lost control and that he is merely a custodian of this misery, Chastain uh, at the at the mercy so to speak of the fans and and that's very much a, a sort of a growing up for Paul Sheldon and, and obviously that what what happens in in the film is is the horrific story of him trying to escape his imprisonment, but there is very much a, a cerebral kind of a uh, of an awakening that that happens as well, which is, um, you know, I think very much a representation of my view watching Stephen King at this point of his writing career of figuring out how to how to be a custodian of the work. And still be able to create, um, you know, something out of, uh, you know, out of his heart. Uh, That is, I think, such an interesting translation for me. I can't not think about that when I watch this movie that that uh, Annie Wilkes represents the people that that. We all serve if we're in any sort of creative, uh, you know, creative endeavor, the, the fans, the people who uh, who listen. And, and I think about it just as I talk about Avengers, right? I'm I you know, I can be just as loony a fanboy as anybody else, uh, you know, uh, about these things. It's it is easy to to sort of see yourself lose control a little bit, right? I mean, when when there's something that you really find a, an affinity for that affinity relationship uh I, I think is much more powerful um, than we give credit for uh, you know we we sort of malign it when it comes to you know teens in line at a Taylor Swift concert but nerds in line at a Star Wars convention um, you know it's it it's it, it's that vibe and I and that's one of the things I love so much about this movie is the way these two characters the way James Caan and Kathy Bates play with each other um, as um, you know and this idea of of what it means to be a fan and what it means to, to have to sort of let go.
0: Yeah. It's uh, especially in today's age with the way that fandom has evolved through social media, mm-hmm. it does make it much more interesting. And you look at something like the bling ring, which is a, a, a kind of a frightening look at, at how uh, in the modern world, how fandom can kind of turn, Uh, into this kind of this stalking and robbery sort of uh, mentality that these people have, because now it's like they want to kind of have that same sort of level of fame, which is uh, an an interesting look at how it has changed a little bit. But, Mm -hmm. but fandom, um, yeah, it just, it's really interesting how it does continue to evolve. And um, I think you're right. It's in this film. It is a very interesting look at that person and who it is, who's kind of, owns that material now.
1: Yeah, I mean that that was really the the lesson for me was uh, you know of this film it was the intention of the film to me at least appeared to be you know look uh, look what happens when you the the blessing is you have built an amazing following of readers around the world who absolutely love uh, what you have done and love what you have created and and uh, as Bacall's character as agent says uh, you know this uh, misery Chastain put braces on your kids and put them through college and. You know so let's let's not be too hasty uh mm-hmm. in, in in whatever comes next, but because that's the blessing of fandom is that you've created something that people that is a gift to people's lives that gives them inspiration and This is a movie that defines in no uncertain terms what happens, the betrayal. It sort of puts that visceral connection or that, that, that palpable connection to the betrayal that comes when you're, when you, uh, when you've reached the end of, of it.
0: There's, um, an interesting element to that, I think also is, um, uh, Stephen King said, I, I mentioned, I think in the, I can't remember which episode, maybe it was Cujo, um, how in entertainment weekly at the time green mile came out in 99, Stephen King had put this, um, top 10, um, list of his favorite adaptations of his novels. And, uh, misery is, I think number five on the list and, uh, sorry, number six on the list. And, um, Uh, He said about it, he said, William Goldman's best script since Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid and a bravura performance by Kathy Bates. If there's a flaw, it's that the movie never quite explains writer Paul Sheldon's salvation, his imagination. I got a peek at Goldman's original script, which would have allowed viewers to explore the writer's mind. If they'd made that one, James Caan might also have won a little gold statue. I find that very interesting, and I read the book. It was so long ago, but I do... um, remember that there was a lot like you would kind of go into the world of of uh misery of as this new book that he's writing misery reborn or whatever misery's return um and you'd kind of get that story uh, with the missing typewriter key typewriter key and all that as he'd be typing those chapters and that was uh you know as you know from the novel and from the movie essentially Annie is making him write this new book of misery. But also it's a really interesting spin on it where um, by now his opportunity to retake control of that character, it helps him actually get through this horrific event. And it leads brilliantly to that conclusion of the film and that great climax when he uses it to his advantage to defeat her, and he burns it, you know. And it's uh, it's a it's a great way to kind of take control of that again when when this crazy fan had wrested it from him, uh, you know, too much far too far from his
1: grasp. Mm-hmm. Totally. Now, talk talk a little bit about James Cohn. How do you how do you feel like he did representing Paul Sheldon? Because this was a was one of those sort of contested casting uh, decisions. And and when you look at the litany, the list of of men that were uh, approached to play this film, it's it's pretty much everyone you could possibly imagine, and they all yeah. turned it down.
0: Yeah, William Hurt, Kevin Klein, Michael Douglas, Harrison Ford, Dustin Hoffman, Robert De Niro, Al Pacino, Richard Dreyfus, Gene Hackman, Robert Redford. Uh, Warren Beatty um, wanted to do it but he wanted to um, rework the script and then Dick Tracy uh, got uh, extended so he couldn't and so somebody brought up James Caan who said sure and <laughs> I, <laughs> it's, like I like picking yeah. up the scraps after yeah. after all those guys <laughs> no but you know I mean the interesting thing about James Caan is I always see him as such an angry character yeah uh, maybe it's just because of The Godfather that I was picturing him that way. But he certainly can play Anger very well. And he works really well for me in this film. I think he plays this writer character really well. He gets a um, a handle of just kind of this world. And he, he never goes crazy. He never is th- th- that high-octane James Caan. He is just very even keel. And he works really well reacting to this um the crazies coming from kathy bates and it's really interesting watching this this chess match between these two um brilliant actors as they play these two characters as his character paul sheldon is trying to read her and trying to make sure he plays the right piece so as to not set her off again or to make sure that he gets his drugs or whatever it happens to be
1: yeah, I think so, too. I, he is uh, the most sort of um, yeah. You know, it's interesting to look at him because he's sort of naturally uh, masculine in this yeah. film, you know, and, and it's it, that that sort of works both in, in a couple of different ways. You know, first of all, we get to see him just kind of um, in his general state of uh, kind of frenetic action. Uh, when he's mm-hmm. trying to wheel himself around the house and he's, he's, you know, trying to experience and take in all the things, all the, the, um, various signals in the house, try to understand her movements and try to kind of parse that. Uh, but also like we get to see him convalescing and, and, uh, you know, he very much reminds me of my dad, you know, when <laughs> He was having uh-huh. sort of like just being taken care of, you know. And there was something that was really sort of naturally um, pleasant in the first sort of thirty minutes of the film before her first big turn, where she comes in the middle of the night and stares over at him. Um, and and so I found him really appealing in this film, and it was it was such a, a twist. I think what did what did he done? I, obviously, he'd just done because I think when did Dick Tracy came out? Right right before this. Um, uh, Dick Tracy. They were both 1990 releases, but I don't remember when exactly.
0: Um, uh, it, Dick Tracy was the summer. This was in the winter. winter but he was so. in Dick Tracy, though. Yes, he was.
1: He was? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. He was one of the guys. He was one of them. One of the mob guys. Right. Spaldoni. So that I find uh, equally interesting that he was in this movie. and Warren, but He wasn't huge in this movie, but in dick Mm. tracy but anyway he comes off of dick tracy but right before this he was in another one of my favorites alien nation and um uh, and it's a very different character. Like, I, you know, everything I had known, like you said, I mean, I, everything I had known about him was defined by this crazy angry guy, you know, um, mm-hmm. and, um, or this crazy confused guy, or this crazy, you know, we go back to, we've already talked about him and, and sort of his experience in being a man in thief. Right. Um, and, and so uh, there is, there was much about him that was counter to my experience of his role here. And I think that made it all the more interesting to watch. And I found myself feeling the same thing. Uh wow, that James Khan, he's he's really pretty good, you know, in this film even now and I've seen this movie a, you know a dozen times.
0: Yeah, yeah, he does a great job in it. Uh, but and and the nice thing about him being such kind of that masculine character is it works really well when you see somebody that you've seen play such a masculine character have to be so broken and have to rely on somebody so much, which you kind of were alluding to. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting when he is, gosh, it's just horrifying when she pulls the blanket back and you see those legs that are just like puffy and swollen and blotchy and broken and all wrapped up. And, and this guy, I mean, he just can't get around. And so it's great as he starts finding his strength to sneak out of the room or to, um, uh, to just come up with his little plans, it's nice to see kind of that uh, that machine working again. And, you know, whether it's just his mental machine or whatever, but it's great that, that James Caan is, is kind of working his way out.
1: Well, and that's one of the reasons, because he plays that piece so well, that's one of the reasons that the, um, you know, when she discovers that he's been getting out, why her reaction to that and his reaction to that experience is so powerful, because she... Uh, uh, she confronts him so gently uh, mm-hmm. as he's in bed now we've been watching his legs heal we've been watching him get better uh, over the course of the film and then she comes in and she uh, and to you know she comes at him with an idea essentially this is I know you've been getting out this is something I have to do you know for your own good mm-hmm. you know it's it's that sort of maternal again that that nursing um kind of aesthetic that that comes to to uh, bear here where she she has a solution to a problem and she goes ahead and executes and and that is of course the hobbling scene uh, where she puts the wood between his ankles and then smashes his feet with a with a uh, breaks his ankles inward. Uh, with a sledgehammer hmm. and and that I think is the uh, is the sort of third point of James Kahn's performance that I think is is really wonderful. It's not the hobbling itself because I can imagine being able to muster the nerve to scream. but it is the the weakness that we get to see leading up to the hobbling as he is begging her not to do it that is a side of james con that i don't think we we see very often Um, and and i really love it i am just just really drawn into that scene as horrifying as it is and this is in contrast to the book where they i I believe she actually cuts off his foot uh, yes she's a
0: lot more uh a lot more violent i mean it's violent either way but she actually uh, chops his one of his feet off with an axe and then when he complains about uh, a missing letter on the typewriter she actually slices off his thumb with an electric knife right and you see so.
1: like i i think that the hobbling sequence in the film is an improvement on that i i think it's more horrifying um because it is it it is so much um Uh, I, you know, I, I don't know that I, I don't know that I have the words for it. I'm, I'm trying to figure out what, what is it about that hobbling that I find so, um, so much better than just cutting off. It's it's like cutting off the feet is, is expected. Like I get it. Like that's going to be the solution, but the hobbling I think is such a creative solution to, um, to this, to her problem, much more creative than the kind of, um, expected, um, amputation
0: that I wish that I could find this quote. I was looking for it, um, but I couldn't remember where I had read it. But William Goldman had talked about that because when he adapted the book, um, he had the hobbling scene. He left it the way that it was in the book, uh, and he, where it was, she acts as his foot off. And that was something that I believe Rob Reiner wanted to change. And Rob was just like, it's too strong. It's going to, um, Uh, it's 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 going to take away from the film a little bit and it was a big argument between uh william goldman and rob reiner and um it was one of those things that uh, he was just like we have to keep that scene that is the scene that's the reason i wrote this script and when he finally uh saw the film or uh, you know he he saw it and recognized that um Rob Reiner was right that the horror in that moment is not in the fact that it gets cut off. It's just in the fact that she is crazy enough to do something like that. Mm -hmm. And if it was a big bloody mess, it kind of would have taken uh, people out of a little bit because it would have just been a little more of a horror uh, trope that you would expect. Like you were saying, by kind of making it this, uh, you're something you're not expecting, but it's still equally horrific. And it's it's all about the psychology and that that keeps it focused on the characters. I think a lot more rather than just the violent nature of it.
1: Yeah, that that's that's precisely it. Those words are better than mine. Uh, well, William
0: <laughs> Goldman's would have been better if, than mine if I could have found them. so... <laughs>
1: I I think that really uh, that really captures what you know the pieces of the horror in the film that are that are muted yet so surprising uh, that I think it earns a little bit more of the gruesomeness at the end. You know when we have the uh, the uh, assassination of of, uh, of the sheriff. Uh, at the top of the stairs, you know, that is a, that's a bit of gore that comes as unexpected by the time we, we get to that point in the film, you know what I'm saying? Shockingly, uh, yeah, shockingly unexpected. Yeah. I mean, we just, you know, we know something's going to happen, but, but that this hole kind of erupts from his chest is, is something we don't you know, I, I don't think we expect. Uh, then, uh, you know, the, the final sort of assault um, is it's, You know, it's a scary fight between this woman who is clearly uh, they've they have done a great job of establishing her physical prowess, her strength. I mean, just just by letting her carry him on her shoulders through the blizzard uh, was enough to set up that she is um, she is a force. But he is also compromised still at this point. You know, he's hobbled. He can't walk and he's he's weak, Uh, even though he's been doing, you know, some his Exercises by you know deadlifting a typewriter. It's it's you know he is in a weakened state, and so that's a that's a, that's a scary fight. I think they set it up well, and and uh, they clearly have established that she's uh, sociopathic, and and um uh, it ends up being a, a a great thrilling horrific climax.
0: Yeah, it's just fantastic, and. Uh, just a, a nice little uh, footnote to that climactic fight is the um, the way that the head smashes into the typewriter when he trips her. Uh, I've always been uh, kind of just... Um, uh, I, I've always enjoyed how th- thorough of a banging it is <laughs> because yeah. that, that head comes down so hard on that typewriter. It really uh, does. And uh, it's just one of those things, and I, I, I very distinctly remember—I uh, don't know—is uh, you know Entertainment Weekly or something that I read at the time, but they were talking about how they did that, and they actually made a mold of Kathy Bates' head that was uh, you know kind of like a, a just a big, heavy mold of her, and they they you know put all the hair on it and everything, and then they actually took that mold and they would actually smash it down onto a typewriter to get that thorough, just complete smack into the uh, the typewriter to make it to make it so the audience could really feel that um, uh, weight when the two collided which I think works really well rather than CG or anything like that it's it, it feels very a hundred percent real <laughs> It feels
1: really bad. <laughs>
0: it does.
1: It feels so bad.
0: I can see why she doesn't get up right away when uh, she smacks her head into it.
1: Yeah. You know, she. It. you feel like she shouldn't get up at all. And I think if there's anything, if we're going to nitpick it at all, the fact that she gets up again, is it, it falls into the horror trope. Um, well, and yet I forgive it.
0: And that is even um, uh, toned down from the book, which she gets up again. Like he, um, like what happens in the book? Okay. So she um, go. he stuffs the paper into her face, uh, trying, you know, eat this, eat this. Um, she uh, attacks him again. She trips, she smacks her head. Um, he, she crawls on him and collapses on his chest uh, from all of her injuries. He makes it out. He, He turns around, locks her in the room, and then she sticks her fingers under and is trying to grab at him. So she's still alive, and he is trying to figure out how is she still alive. So it kind of played with that horror cliche, but then he's in so much pain he has to go get some pills. He falls asleep and passes out. Um, When he wakes up, some cops actually show up. He says, Watch out, she's alive in that room. They go in and she's not there. She'd broken through the window <laughs> and she had gone out to the barn and she had gotten a chainsaw and she was going to come inside and cut him to pieces. But uh, in the process of going out there and all that, um, because of the head, uh, the skull fracture she got when she fell. Um, She actually ended up dying and they found her body outside with the chainsaw in hand. So it was like, (laughs) it was much, much longer, more drawn out. So that's going back to what I said at the beginning about William Goldman. He really, even even keeping some of that horror cliche in there, he did find a way to really whittle it down and made it much more of an, an efficient movie.
1: Yeah, you can you can feel it and and I feel like the film, you know, when you look at who at, at where the film's focus is, you know, it it is really a very intimate movie. Do you know? Oh yeah. Like we we have James Kahn and Kathy Bates and their relationship is wonderful. But the other really important relationship here is Richard Farnsworth and Francis Sternhagen as Buster and Virginia. Buster is the is the everything guy, uh, you know, the sheriff and all associated roles and, and Virginia, <laughs> his wife and assistant. And they have a wonderful relationship between the two of them as they uh, go about kind of uncovering the disappearance of Paul Sheldon over the course of weeks. Uh, you know, how do you feel about them? I have
0: always loved them. It's just such a great relationship that was built into this story about uh, you know, a relationship between two people, one of them a very doting fan. This was a great way to show that kind of loving relationship that also is full of just that kind of acerbic wit and that attitude, which is so much fun. When played by Farnsworth and Sternhagen, just so much fun.
1: It is just wonderful. Their um, their relationship and their marriage is um, is just, it's just perfect uh, yeah. for this film, and it makes it, uh, it it actually makes you consider. I think at the end, when he is uh, Buster is ultimately uh, killed, it makes you consider. You know that is a that's a loss that they built enough of the character uh into and as a secondary character even even so they built enough of that character into the film that um that you actually feel the loss.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
1: I thought that was that was really wonderful.
0: Francis Sternhagen later appeared in uh The Mist, another Stephen King adaptation.
1: Uh The Mist. I don't think I liked that one. Oh, I do. Do you? I, that's a, that's
0: a, I think that's a love it or hate it one.
1: Oh, all right.
0: But I enjoyed it quite a bit. She was also in the hospital.
1: Yes. Now that one uh, we like very much. Mm hmm. Sort of, right? Sort of. Yeah. No, I think we did. like are, I mean, we don't need to watch it a whole bunch of times, but we liked it. <laughs> we did. We did. Yes. All right. Uh, where, uh, what else do you want to talk about on this uh, on this film? Shall we talk a little bit about uh, uh, do we need to talk a little bit about Rob Reiner?
0: I think we talked about him a lot in our last episode. I mean, I, I it's I will say watching these two films, all I could think of is man, Rob Reiner needs to go direct another Stephen King adaptation because that might get his career back on track.
1: Yeah, you know how many did he do? And it, it's a just, bit,
0: it, It's just these two. It's
1: just these two. But uh, one of the things that I thought was was interesting, he did a a, a significant uh, interview with um, um, TV legends uh, and you can find the whole thing. It's like, I don't know, 12, 12 half hour parts um, where they talk about Rob Reiner from birth to death. Uh, wow. It's just a headshot of him. Uh, you can watch the whole thing. It's, it's great stuff. But one of the things that he talks about, which I find really fascinating is that Stephen King's, um, you know, relationship with him and because of the work he did on stand by me and Misery, which were, you know, as we talked about last week, Stand By Me was another one that was very important to Stephen King. These two films back to back really encapsulate uh, this, you know, his relationship to his youth and his relationship to his career, two things that are very important in his life, right? And that Rob Reiner was such a good you know uh, custodian of his stories he he said uh, that he was going to end up giving um first rights to you know for, of of his adaptations to castle rock. So even though Reiner didn't do, uh, didn't directly direct anymore, I think it was a total of like six films that castle rock ended up, uh, producing. Uh, and Rob Reiner was directly involved in, in that because of his relationship with Stephen King. Nice. Which I, yeah, yeah. they did, uh, Dolores. Claiborne, did, uh, um right. Uh-huh. uh, gosh, what else? Anyhow, a lot of them, um, and uh, good, good, uh, you know, and I don't know, there were, there were, as we get the the later films, I think there were more that I liked more even than the, than the earlier films that I, that we've already talked about. So there may be another, another Stephen King series in us.
0: Yeah. The problem with, uh, looking up Castle Rock is, uh, all of the TV work that they did, it makes their list so long that it's like impossible. Yeah. (laughs) Every Seinfeld episode is on here. Uh, it's like, (laughs) I don't need to see all of those. Can we just see the movies? I don't know. I don't know. But uh, yeah. yeah.
1: Anyway. So that's yeah. this. That's that was the I, I thought an interesting piece of the story about their history. Um, so there yes. you have it. I agree. I agree.
0: Um, well, we should uh, mention mm-hmm. that the uh, fantastic Barry Sonnenfeld shot this.
1: Yes, he did. And I think it goes to, you know, that, that sense of claustrophobia that the film has. And I, that I, I really like, first of all, it's a small town, uh, obviously. All of the, you know, it feels very much like a Western to me, you know, I mean, the, the way we're introduced to the town is in, you know, Buster's, you know, from, behind Buster, sort of from the wall, looking out toward the front door of the sheriff's office. Uh, and, uh, I love that shot in particular because it reminds me so much of like a saloon shot, you know, where we get to see the door and the, the swinging doors, you know, of an old, old Western saloon. Um, right. And, and so you get the feeling it sort of puts you in a sense of place, I think really nicely. Uh, and then of course the house uh, is, um, you know, is beautifully, I think shot um, particularly the, the sequences where she is standing over him in bed, like any of the point of view sequences of Annie Wilkes from, uh, Paul are really terrifying. Uh, and I think are, uh, you know, a credit to Sonnenfeld's, you know, creativity with the camera here.
0: And, and lens choice, you know, using the wide angle lens, yeah. getting her close up to give that nice facial distortion when you're looking at somebody, it, uh, it really does help. Emphasize that uh, that invasion of your space.
1: <laughs> oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, who else is hot? Well,
0: and, and this, I was just going to say, this was the last uh, film that Sonnenfeld did as a cinematographer. We have talked about him with Blood Simple early in his career we talked about him uh how he did some more with the coen brothers uh, including um miller's crossing which we talked about we talked about him and when harry met salary and uh, when harry met. <laughs>
1: salary <laughs> salary <laughs> i've got celery on the brain what can i say i need my man need and my his my... <laughs> struggles to be a vegetarian it's <laughs> well, a totally different well, movie well done <laughs>
0: Yes, and then and then misery. So this was the last before he uh, switched hats permanently, uh, and then started with the Adams family, which is the very first uh, directing role he yeah. did. So, and uh, his latest is a TV movie called Dead Boss. <laughs> <laughs> a woman wrongly accused of murdering her boss is forced to prove her innocence.
1: Well. Yeah. That happens. Yeah, 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 Yep.
0: yep, yep. <laughs> <I> <laughs> oh, Barry. oh Barry! Barry! Barry. Barry. Yeah. Yes. So anyway, that's that's Barry Sonnenfeld. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Just another random side note. Uh, Kathy Bates yeah. was also in Dick Tracy.
1: What was she in Dick Tracy? How is that possible? <laughs> Isn't that strange? That's She's, crazy.
0: She was um, was it Mrs. Green uh, I don't know who that is, but I she was it's like ah what a weird what a weird connection.
1: That's so really strange. funny that's so really strange.
0: funny. yeah so anyway, that's that little note. Um, you know other than that uh, and uh, you know the music I think is effective in this film. it's not a soundtrack that I go to and listen to, but I think that the music works really well. Mark Shaman, um, he is a composer that can do some great stuff, uh, in context of the stories that he's telling. Um, it's not always stuff that you want to kind of put on and play, but it does work really well. we've talked about him. I mean, he did, um, uh, he did, uh, uh this, he did, um, what else did he do? He did some stuff in, in when, when Harry met Celery, <laughs> 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 Sleepless in Seattle, South Park. I mean, he, he's got some good stuff, you know, and, uh, but I think also what works really well is the Liberace music, um, where it's placed and how they do it. Like when when Moonlight Sonata comes on during the hobbling scene, that is such a tranquil, relaxing piece of music. And to play that over that scene just further emphasizes the terror of it because it's not creepy music. It's not scary. It's this amazing, uh, almost lullaby-sounding classical piece that works so well. And and likewise, when when, uh, Paul is writing he's having that flurry of inspiration in his writing. Uh, you've got that great Tchaikovsky piece and it, it works really well. And so whether it's Mark Shamans or the other music, I think that is something that's worth note and how effective it works in context of the film.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I agree with you. And I think, uh, you know, I think there are a lot of, uh, of Shamans scores that, you know, I, I'm not as much of a fan of, but, uh, um, but every now and again, you know, he comes, he comes up with something that, that I think is really touching.
0: Yeah. I mean, uh, he can, he can do some good stuff. South Park, bigger, longer, uncut. Love that.
1: <laughs> Me too. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Ah, uh, yes. Right. Uh, and, uh, let's see, anybody else, uh, strike you as fantastic?
0: Um, you know, the only thing, uh, just a couple random things that n- no one else on the crew that I was going to, um, hit on, but the, um, just interesting note, as far as Stephen King goes, this was actually going to be one of his Richard Bachman books when he was writing under the pseudonym of Richard Bachman.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, but he ended up, uh, he was outed, um, I think right, um, after I believe it was The Running Man, when this would have been his next book. And so because of that, he ended up releasing it as a Stephen King book. But um, but I think it's one of those interesting things where when you look at the Richard Bachman books and you look at the Stephen King books, Richard Bachman's are grounded a little more in reality. They're not quite so um, kind of that the fantastical horror stories with you know cars that come to life with possessed spirits and all that sort of thing. And so it, it does kind of make sense that this would have been a Richard Bachman book. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so it's, it's interesting that, uh, you know, it's interesting, I think, any writer, when they end up taking those pen names to kind of write other novels and stuff, and whatever the reasons may be, I think he took Richard Bachman because at the time, in the 70s, I think, uh, publishers were really um, opposed to authors writing more than one book a year. And so he, was, he came up with a pen name so that he could be publishing more frequently interesting yes yes um and then the other random things is that uh this story has been adapted uh a couple other times once as an off-broadway play um that just uh,
1: recently more recently right i mean just was, a couple of years ago
0: well it was revived in 2005 i don't know when it was originally uh made but it was revived in 2005 and then it played, and that was in London, and then in 2007 in Greece, and then in 2012 in Dubai. So, uh, yeah, strangely, but it started as an off-Broadway play. And uh, and then um, it was uh, adapted again by another, by a Dutch composer and theater producer. He adapted it into a musical He calls it a feel-bad musical. He says, misery in feel-bad musical is what it's written
1: as. Oh, my goodness. This is where David Fincher got it.
0: Yeah. The feel-bad movie of the holidays. It looks pretty funny. Like, when I'm looking at the the website for it, uh, and they they have this picture of the Kathy or the Annie Wilkes character kind of holding a giant, I mean, it is a giant mallet.
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, and, and don't forget um, uh, Julie Ganapati. That's right. The uh, 2003 South Indian version of Misery. Yeah,
0: which is in it's an actual remake of the film. Yes, not, not adaptation an adaptation. Not an adaptation. Novel. <laughs> uh, you gotta love that. Oh, uh, goodness. Yeah, I wonder if King... Uh, and Reiner both get royalties from yeah, that. I know.
1: Is that on his top 10 list of favorite adaptations of adaptations? <laughs> right. That's
0: a whole other list. Yeah, right. He's got his favorite adaptations, but then the adaptations of adaptations. Uh, the, I think that's where all the, the <laughs> Children's, <laughs> Children's of the Corn sequels go and and carry the third remake.
1: <laughs> that's right. Except for they're all musicals. Right. Right. Yeah. And yeah. And then, yeah. Children's Children of the Corn the musical thanks. is crazy. Just bananas what those kids do. <laughs> malachi 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 <laughs> he's coming for you <laughs> oh gosh i love that i love that old song put the grown-up's hand in the blender <laughs> that was it that's a real toe tapper
0: oh uh, yes gets the whole crowd a clapping <laughs> yep yep sure uh, enough does
1: uh i think we should talk about money
0: let's do it this film did pretty well for itself of the r-rated films that came out in 1990 it was number eight on the list <laughs> yes, that's
1: right. and that's Good to saying know. something <laughs> that's right <laughs>
0: behind pretty woman which was the number one r-rated film of 1990 total recall die hard 2, die harder presumed innocent another 48 hours the godfather part three and flatliners those were all ahead of it <laughs> but this film Uh, It cost, uh, what was it, about $20 million to make, roughly, uh, and in today's dollars, that's about $35.6 million. It ended up grossing domestically about sixty-one million three million dollars so it did it made a nice profit i couldn't find any international figures but just from those domestic numbers it ended up turning a handsome profit and if you look at adjusted profit per finished minute it was making about six hundred eighty thousand dollars per finished minute
1: my goodness that's a lot of
0: money yeah not as good as stand by me that's still the highest uh grossing film on our list in the profit per finished minute but uh its second
1: not bad not too bad all right good not job rob reiner good
0: job rob reiner
1: uh let's uh, rank it let's do it so head over to flickchart.com slash the next reel and you can check out our stack rankings see if our movies line up with your movies and if misery will break the top 41 41 wow Mm-hmm. Okay,
0: <laughs> misery or Carrie? I love how that keeps popping up. I would do misery. I
1: would too. <sighs> Good,
0: excellent. Misery or Twelve Monkeys?
1: Hmm. Mm, see, I would probably. Mm. That's a
0: hard one. Goodness, That's, I could. I I really like. I if I in my head go Twelve Monkeys.
1: Oh, but then there's misery,
0: and then I go misery.
1: Oh, oh I know. And there's like sadness and shame. I know. Oh, what do we do here?
0: I'm going to say Twelve Monkeys because it's I've watched it more. I don't know if that's a fair way to do it. I, but.
1: See, I'm, I think I'm leaning toward misery.
0: All right, I'll do misery. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm really,
0: I, I'm really comfortable in either way on that one. All right, misery or The Shining? Misery. Really over the
1: shining? Yes, I know. Bananas, right? I just had a conversation about The Shining today, and I was just sort of reliving how it aged on me over this last one. And in the context of just sort of what I like about these two characters, the, and uh, these two characters, as soon as I think of Shelley Duvall, I think, okay, misery.
0: <laughs> That's pretty funny. It's pretty funny. I don't know if it's completely fair, but it is pretty funny. But I'll give you misery. I'll give you misery. All right. Misery or Stand By Me. Wow, this is amazing. Yikes.
1: I'm gonna have to go. Stand by
0: me. Mm. Yeah, me too. Misery or aliens? Aliens. Yeah. Uh, misery or the Fisher King? Uh, I
1: oh I hmm. do the Fisher King. Yeah, I think so too.
0: Misery or the French Connection? The French Connection. Yeah. Misery or Fight Club? Fight Club. Okay, there you go. Number 20. Wow. Cra- crack 41. 41.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Number
0: 20 out of 155. Good job, Misery.
1: Outstanding. Well done, Misery. Misery the pig. Playing by Misery herself.
0: Played by herself. I always wonder about that. Like, really... They really had... They
1: had to find a pig
0: that just happened they, to have a pig named Misery had, somebody the Somebody had pig named Misery.
1: And that, that could pig. also act? Yeah. I mean, that was yeah, one acting a, pig. That's a big ask. I'd put that pig right up next to Babe any day. Yeah. That'll I do, know. pig. That'll do. Hey, this was a good one. Where do we go from here? You know,
0: believe it or not, this series... Is coming to an end.
1: Wait, not? (laughs) I choose not.
0: (laughs) I know, we could just keep going. We could be talking about sometimes (laughs) they come back
1: again. Maximum overdrive.
0: (laughs) There's so, oh, what's the, oh, that torturous one with uh, Morgan Freeman. With the uh, like the the alien poop that comes out of the toilet. What is oh, that? Oh
1: yeah, no God, I <laughs> that was horrible. <laughs> oh.
0: I still am convinced that he wrote that while he was doped up on his meds after he after the accident. did he admit
1: that? I thought he actually oh, admitted that.
0: Maybe he did. That was a trip. That was a, Oh
1: <laughs> goodness, that was that was terrible. Yeah. So there's
0: some that we probably won't be talking about.
1: I, I wish I could uh, remember what it was. Boy, that movie that didn't didn't hold well It was they went yeah. hunting right there was a hunting thing and the guy yeah, he the had fork, like a dumb and dumber-esque poop on the toilet oh i can't remember <laughs> it's but, just uh, so bad
0: it was pretty terrible it was a dream catcher
1: that's the one yeah that was terrible the uh. book was better i remember that
0: I didn't read that book, but that—that's what happens to a lot of his, you know, especially the TV movie ones. Sometimes you watch the TV movies, and it's just like, oh wow, they didn't quite capture that yeah. right. You can tell it's a budget thing
1: sometimes. But like, anyway, so where—where where did you, did you say what we're doing next week?
0: I didn't. I didn't. Oh. We were talking about all these other things that we're skipping because the series is ending, and you got so sad. <laughs> I
1: did get sad,
0: and so we digressed to, to keep uh, uh, not having to end it but uh, alas we're going to end it next week with a uh, this is the second of the um, adaptations that we will be talking about from different seasons this is apt pupil
1: oh yeah oh no I really want us to talk about this one that's good I
0: have I haven't seen this since I saw it in the theater so I'm curious to go back and watch it again yeah
1: no me too Yeah. good All right. well I feel good about this yeah the the the, the, the
0: final moments of our eight-part Stephen King series comes excellent. excellent
1: excellent all right well hey uh, this was good yeah I gotta go to bed
0: I'm gonna go read a romance novel
1: from... Mine is actually... This is interesting. It was written by um, Mark Twain. (laughs) Wow!
0: From the grave!
1: (laughs) Mark Twain's writing from Monrovia, Liberia uh, in 2007. I had a hankering to watch this movie, so I started to last night, but somehow the movie didn't interest me at all. I had absolutely no interest in what was going to happen next because, one... I didn't care about the character of Paul Sheldon. If you want the audience to be on the edge of their seat when the character is in peril, you have to get the audience to identify with that character, as happens for the first half of Titanic. But misery is like Titanic starting halfway in. It doesn't work that way. Even con men know this. That's why they're called confidence men. In this movie, my only reaction to Paul Sheldon was annoyance. He seemed like a typically lousy writer with a slovenly personality. I didn't mind that he was getting tortured. The plot was impla... Oh, two? The plot was implausible and uninteresting. Sheldon is far too docile and unresourceful. He just sits there like he should have a sweatshirt that says, Victim. Caring about a born victim is for suckers. Real victims usually try to save themselves a lot more desperately than he did. His token efforts to save himself were token at best. So I turned it off, wondering what possessed me to ever want to watch it in the first place. Scene.
0: Wow. Mine is by Casey Strawberry Blonde. Oh, I'm looking forward to this. Just just a two-star one. And it's really long, so I'm going to be drastically condensing it. Huge come down from the book. You'll hardly recognize it. I'm an RN who could Kiss Stephen King for bringing public attention to the very real problem of evil, sometimes killer nurses who are either sociopathic or <laughs> narcotic addicted and still working in healthcare. Still, the movie is so disappointing. There are several parts that don't add up, but James Kahn's golden Razzie-worthy performance is what completely ruins it. I didn't expect all of the mind games and psychological warfare that goes on between the hero and villain in the book to be communicated in the movie, but was disappointed that more of it wasn't. I thought that was the main, port- main point of the story. Silly me. Again, I thought the whole story was supposed to be about a villain who is an evil genius and her kidnapped victim who is so intelligent and able to hold it together that he has a chance, even though the odds are greatly stacked against him. Instead of portraying that, Khan acts like he thought he was supposed to be portraying Wile e. Coyote. In one scene where the villain horribly abuses and tortures him, Khan writhes and yells twice, and then voila, half a minute later, he's good as new, a la your favorite cartoon character. He didn't even break a sweat. That's it? I don't think so, James near the end Khan needs a bath and some clean clothes but otherwise looks like he just got back from a spa miraculously his emotions are still rock solid uh huh right that's fortunate because he needs to make a very nervy and dramatic escape attempt or be murdered by the villain I don't think he. I think he creases his brow once during his escape attempt there's still another scene at the very end that's bogus, as, as it can be, as as, that's as bogus as it can be, and an insult to people who've really lived through a certain medical problem. I won't tell you the ending, but my advice is to read the book and skip the movie. To see a performance by Bates that's excellent through the whole movie, I recommend Fried Green Tomatoes. <laughs> to see a good one by Khan, I recommend The Godfather. If you want to read about real life versions of Annie Wilkes, I recommend Nurses Who Kill by Clifford linedecker and William A. Burt.
1: <laughs> wow. That was like a review and a PSA all at once. <laughs> that's right. And that's the condensed version. About nurses who kill and... What is that medical condition? IBS?
0: I don't know. That's, it's like, what is the certain medical
1: condition she's referring to? I don't know. That's a mystery. Yes.